everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk. So, you know, my cousin is a PhD English guy, and uh, we're really proud of him, and he has been researching Ralph Ellison for a number of years. Do you know Ralph Ellison? He is, uh, in 1952, he wrote the book Invisible Man. And, the, and it wins the National Book Award in 1953. The New York Times, two years ago, is still writing about Invisible Man and Ralph Ellison, and artists are still doing renderings around this idea. But you know what? Ralph never wrote another novel. There are some essays. In fact, there's two sets of collections of essays that are out there. Uh, But he never wrote another book. He had a successful career teaching. And so my cousin Sterling was doing this talk on Ralph. And he came to a point, and I think there, there are two points that he came to that are germane for our topic today. He said, uh, you know, when Ellison's widow passed, uh, when Ellison passed away, Ellison's widow had a conservator go into his office and look at his papers. And finally the conservator comes out and she looks at him and says, I know he's been writing. Is there a beginning? Is there a middle? And is there an end? And he shakes his head. And so someone in the audience asked my cousin Sterling, why could he not get that second book out? And he said something that I thought was interesting. He said, you know what? The themes he was exploring were too big, and the times were changing too quickly. That sounds like the times we live in. And so why alpha? Well, alpha slows it down, brings it smaller, talks about the main and the plain. In church speak, it's an evangelistic tool. What's that mean? Well, alpha helps as a tool to present the authenticity of Jesus to a world that is moving really quickly, to a world that is exploring all kinds of themes. You know, Nikki Gumbel, who really is now stewarding Alpha, has a vineyard background. In fact, that Holy Spirit day away that Amos is talking about came about after uh, the leader of the vineyard at the time, John Wimber, went to England And I have had some experience with an alpha day away in our, in in, in the local community, and it is a wonderful day. The Holy Spirit is moving. I can tell you stories. I won't tell them now, but come, if you're thinking, I don't know if I should go, there are people who are praying for our Holy Spirit day away. When you sign up and say you're doing alpha on the big Alpha USA thing, there's people who start praying. And the Lord really does something to honor 
their prayers. You know, the formula of Alpha works. It's a meal, a video, and a t- or talk, and some non-judgmental discussion time. And it's our prayer that this catch fire here. That a couple people get together and say, you know what? I can do that. I can do that in my home. I can make 12 meals. I can partner with some people to make some meals, invite some friends, invite some people who don't believe, invite some people who are interested, and have a non-judgmental discussion. Today's talk is on evil. But can there be a larger theme than evil? Now, having done my research, I can definitively say that I have isolated the true raw evil in America. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though, what is evil? Is Hitler evil? Was the Holocaust evil? The, The genocide in Rwanda? Pol Pot's killing fields? Let's get local. Did you know that even though black women account for 43% of all the births that in, I'm sorry, that black women are 43% of births, they contribute 73% of fetal mortality in Philadelphia, just a few miles away from us. Who took 401 today? Anyone take Conestoga? Yeah, I'm always on it. Yeah. You know, that's a Native American trail. It goes all the way out to the Horseshoe Trail, all the way out to Harrisburg. I've I've been on 401 Conestoga forever. I, I never see any Native Americans. Is that evil? What is evil? Couple that question with the question of the ages. Why do bad things happen to good people? And you have these big questions that people want to know about. So why don't we go ahead and let's dive in and run the video. Amen. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus that we can be delivered from the evil one. Father, I ask that you send your spirit and power, that my words be your words, that you have your way, that you inspire us, you fill us with your love and your peace, and you tell us who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is evil? I think before we get to how do you resist evil, I think it's important that we kind of think about what is evil. And Augustine, an early church father, uh, in two of his books, Confessions and the City of God, works through the problem this way. First, all things that God created are good. Two, evil is not good. Three, Therefore, evil was not created by God. 
Secondly, God created everything. God did not create evil. Therefore, evil is not a thing. Central to Augustine's idea of goodness and consequently evil was the notion of being. To Augustine, anything that had been was good. And if you read Genesis, this is very true. God, as the ground of being, was perfectly good along with everything he brought into being. This goodness was a property that came in varying degrees. Now with this foundation, Augustine was now prepared to answer the key issue. Where is evil then? And whence, and I, I love the, the, the language here, and whence, and how it crept hither. What is its root, and what is its seed? Or hath it no being? To this, Augustine answered, evil has no positive nature, but the loss of good has received the name of evil. Let me say that again. Evil has no positive nature, but the loss of good has received the name evil. Augustine observed that evil always injures. And such injury is a removal of good. He said it's a deprivation of good. It's a removal of good. If there, were, if there was no deprivation, there would be no injury. Has something been done to you or happened to you that you perceive to be evil? Did it hurt? Does it still hurt? This is what Augustine is talking about. Since all things were made with goodness, evil must be the privation, the removal of goodness. All which is corrupted is derived, of, is depraved of good. The triune God, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, in, uh, is good. And Matthew 19, 16, 17 recounts a rich man asking Jesus about goodness. I apologize. I think I've written down the wrong reference. Four, one through ten. No, I'm there. Here we go. I'm sorry. Uh, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus answers, why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Why ask what is good? 
So as my mother, Ruby Murray, I can't wait to see her again, would tell me quite often as a child, there's only one who is good, Edward, not you. <laughs> Keep the commandments. She drilled that into my head. God bless her. So let me ask you this question. What's in your heart? And what has stirred in your heart, even for a moment, just a moment in time, that became an action that wasn't good? If you can think of that one moment, that one time where there was something in your heart and it spurred you to do something that was less than good, well, then you're hanging out with me. Okay? We're all less than good. We're in the same boat. We need Jesus because no matter how hard we strive for his goodness, we're going to miss the mark. We need a savior to rescue us from our rebellion, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that because we have Jesus, we stop striving. In fact, Paul talks about that, right? He says, I keep striving for perfection, knowing that I'm not going to quite get there, but I keep, I keep striving. That's our job. So now that we have a good understanding, I hope, of, of evil, let's talk about what Nikki on the, on the video just kind of finished up with. Satan, culture, and our will. And I'm going to do Satan, us, and culture. Satan was good, but he rebelled against God. If, we return, if I turn to uh, Revelation 12, 7 through 12, we find these words. And this is John getting this vision from Jesus. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael, an angel, and his angels fought against the dragon and the angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So, what does that mean for us? Well, that means Satan's pretty angry. He's been tossed out of heaven, and he's here. And he has a mission, okay? Before he was in heaven, and he could do things like this. He could, he could go up to God and say, hey, God, you see Ed down there? He's losing weight. He's doing it for himself. He's all happy. He's done it. He doesn't love you. He doesn't give that to you. But now, there is no accuser in heaven. Jesus is there. And Jesus looks down and says, there's Ed. He's losing weight for his own glory. But he knows me. And he's going to repent. And I know him, and he's a friend of mine. And Lord, when it's time for him to come home, don't look at him. 
Look at me. But where does that leave Satan? That leaves Satan on the earth, ready to accuse you. And one of the things that Satan does, uh, I won't say it's the best, but I think it's an old trick of his, uh, is to attack your identity that you are, and tell you you're not God's beloved. And if you're following Jesus, he will attack your identity as a child of God and trade in half-truths and in lies. Let's listen to how Satan tempts Eve. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. There's another time Satan, we have a great chronicling of Satan tempting. And this time it's the temptation of Jesus. Jesus has been baptized. He's been uh, driven by the Spirit of God out to the wilderness. And he has fasted on this supernatural fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus said to him, No, scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with, your hands, with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Now, here's the funny thing. When Jesus accomplished what he accomplished on the cross, he wasn't just given the earth. He was given all of creation. And I think this is a word for us. Many times when we are tempted and we go the way of the world or the way of Satan, it's because we are going for something, but we don't realize that God has so much more for us. The enemy will do anything to trick us. And let me say, I was going to buy a mirror right here because this can be a hard talk. There's no guilt. There's no shame because everything I'm saying to you, I want to look in that mirror and be like, yeah, yeah remember, remember then? Okay. All right. This is something that all humanity faces. And kudos to everyone in this room and all the other uh, saints who are in service today or tonight or when, during the week, who are following Jesus. Okay, but it's important that we do know the truth. Satan is real. 
He's roaming the earth. He's trying to destroy you. He will use trickery, lies, and anything in his disposal to keep you from your true identity and your calling. But most of the time, Satan can relax and let the other forces of culture and our own will do the job for him. Let's talk about our will. uh, I think we read this book a little while ago, uh, John Mark Comer, uh, Live No Lies. This is a staple in our home. In fact, before our kids went off to school, we had to read this as a family. Uh, Or I told them I wouldn't pay their tuition. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. Uh, So when John Mark Homer talks about uh, our will, he says something that I think is really interesting that we should hear. Modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality. The only rule being that, we, that they must resonate with who we really are. The worst thing we can do is to conform to some moral code that is oppo- imposed on us from outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else. It is deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique identity. The authentic self believes that personal meaning must be found within ourselves or must resonate with our one-of-a-kind personality. Happiness has become about feeling good, not being good. The good life has become about getting what we want, not becoming the kind of people who truly want good things. The self, not God or scripture, is the new locus of authority in Western culture. And you're going to take alpha classes to folks who think just like that. And you're going to have to be prayed up, but you're also going to have to know the truth. And you're going to have to also be loving when they exhibit those type of values. And patient, like Jesus, knowing that the Lord, if they're in your alpha class, if they're in your home, if they're eating, if you're meeting them at the Starbucks, if you're bringing them here, the Lord is already working in their heart. And for us to judge them because They're conforming to like this thing that's going on right now in society is only going to drive them away. But it's going to be really tough to watch, and it's going to give you a good prayer life. Okay? Uh, Culture. Wow. I truly believe. You know, when I think about this, I look at Hans Hermann. Hans did a talk. And if you don't know Hans, he is one of the founding members of the church and he did a talk. Hans hates the microphone. I don't know why he knocked the talk out of the water. Just out of the park. Bang. And he talked about the rationalism of math and like how flowers are made. And I was just like blown away and how he found God in that. Right? And what's my point? God wants us to be creative. 
In fact, uh, he, God has made pleasures for us. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve had a pretty good job. They didn't have any job. Their job was simply to take care of the garden, have some fun, have kids, extend the garden. Okay? God, everything that's good, God has created, and he wants us to be creative. And so I don't want us to hear this as culture is bad. We must stay in the church. I grew up like that. It was okay. I got past it. I went to go see Lauren Hill this past weekend. Anybody know Lauren Hill? Yeah. 25th anniversary miseducation of Lauren Hill. Got back together with the Fugees. You guys know that? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It was good. Lauren Hill talked about the abundance of God. Wow. She was so happy to be back with her bandmates who they, they had split a while ago. And she said, you know, this is like the third, they all went to Howard University. This is the 30th year that, uh, you know, we, to this day that we did a show while we were students at Howard in D.C. Everybody had fun. There's this music called D.C. Go-Go. It's like, there's this backbeat that goes on with Go-Go. Everybody is dancing and shaking and having Really nice time. Culture like that is fine. It's when we start to love culture more than we love God. Okay? It's when we start to love our cars and our clothes and our watches and uh, our homes and our golf game more than we love God. That's where the problem comes in. And you know what? Culture is set up for us to love those things. If we live in a capitalist society, and we do, the whole idea is selling us stuff, right? And so the best way and easiest way to sell us stuff is for us to believe that we must have it, okay? And we must have it because it's cool, because you'll love this. You know, clearly... That new vacuum is better than the old vacuum you have. Clearly. It gets up much more dust. Okay? These are the forces that combine to produce evil. But what does Jesus say? How does Jesus look at the problem of evil? You know, there is a scripture, Luke 13, 1 through 5, and I think we have it here. I'm going to put it up, and I'm going to ask everyone to stand, because this is our, our defining scripture for the day, and we can read this together. We do this simply to honor the word of the Lord. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. 
And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. What does that probably really look like? I'm going to leave you standing for a little bit if you don't mind. Because I think what that really looks like is something like this. Jesus! My friends, they were at the wall offering sacrifices. Pilate killed them. They're dead. And then he did horrible things with their blood. This is horrible. What do you have to say about this, Jesus? I think you should repent. Or you'll die too. Jesus! The Riviera Maya was this tsunami, hurricane. I don't even know what it was. The water washed up, and it killed all these poor people. All the tourists left. They got out. What do you have to say about this, Jesus? tell you again, unless you repent, you'll perish too. Have a seat. That's a hard word. We had our regional conference last week. Uh, Jay Pathak, our national director, spoke on the last day. And uh, he said, you know, every movement has a characteristic. Like, you know, you look at the Pentecostals at Azusa Street, and they're speaking in tongues, and their meetings are loud. Yeah, and and, and this is, these are my words, not his now. And you look at Bethel, and there's the gold dust, and, and, and there's, you know, the, there's, there's things going on, and there's loud praise music. And he said, but you know what? The vineyard has always been about radical repentance. In the face of evil, in the face of just separation from God, it's always been for us. We are a people that things happen when we radically repent. Look around the room. We're all kind of built that way. So there is evil. There's stuff going on in Gaza and Israel that we don't even want to think about. There's stuff going on in Philly we don't want to think about. There was a guy who broke out of jail. Drove his van into the cornfield over there. You know, sharpshooters on Route 100. 
What's Jesus' answer to this? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Save me. It's a prayer of the ages. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.